Bee's kitchen table. I thank you for taking time in your busy schedule to pull up a chair here at the kitchen table. As I've told you so many times before, this is the place where we chop it up, break it down, and put it back together again. It's called the kitchen table because this is the place that we want to deal with real relevant relationship issues, and sometimes in a raw manner. Uh, as you've been following over the periods of weeks, you have probably determined by now, this cat look crazy. Uh, he'll talk about things and we'll deal with things that many times we don't get an opportunity uh, in a congregational setting to talk through as in depth. And so I want to kind of pull away a little bit and deal specifically with just relationships. We've, we've did some weeks back, we've done it with dating and we've done it from a male perspective who's unmarried. We've dealt with a female perspective. We also did it from a college student perspective. And just last week, <clears throat> I started dealing with the issue related to a fair proofing your marriage. You remember that? How do we put boundaries around our marriages and boundaries around our hearts so that we don't find ourselves in an adulterous situation? And that really does happen. Matter of fact, we live in a culture now that really celebrates adultery. Uh, you, you see all the time celebrities, they, get, they got married and then eight or nine months later they decided, I don't, want, I don't want to be married anymore. They filed for divorce, they have not gotten divorced, and yet they're still... They moved on to a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Even their songs, the songs you've heard, this one song says, says something about, um, I left home uh, to be with my side piece. You probably heard that. Some of you are probably saying, it's got, it's got a good little jingle to it, but it's got a very, very bad message to it. So today I just want to talk once again, as part two of this, about a fair proofing your marriage. Now I understand that. This is not a comical situation. This is a very painful situation. You've ever been here before. You know exactly uh, just the nightmare how this situation can be and just how devastating, how humiliating and embarrassing it can really, really be. You understand that. Uh, um, I was raised in an environment in which my mom and dad, they were they were divorced uh, early on when I was born, just a child. But I knew that, that based on the story, there's a lot of infidelity. There's a lot of other things going on. So, so, so so I, I guess I'm the fruit of, of a relationship uh, that was not a fair proof. Um, and so, but now having my own wife and my own family, and my own children that I'm pouring into, uh, I understand just the collateral damage that this can cause if not handled rightly. And so though the world makes mockery of it and makes shows about it, certainly makes money on it, uh, this is a very, very true issue, very deep issue. And so I sympathize with you uh, today. And so I, I don't want to take it lightly. I don't want to say like it's just some, some parabolic pre preacher talk or just some, 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 some cheap cliches. Uh, I want to really let you know that I feel you. I understand. I'm not where you are. I'm not where you've been. But yet I understand the pain of it because I deal with a lot of people uh, who are in that right now. As a matter of fact, I talked to a guy today from the North Texas region here in Texas, state of Texas. And as I was talking to him prior to coming here live with you, uh, he's a young man who uh, went through a very disappointing, uh, desperate, uh, depressing time because his wife had an affair on him. And so I asked his permission if I could just divulge a little of his information. Of course, for obvious reasons, he can't be here today, but he wanted to just talk a little bit. And if I could just, just speak about what he spoke to me about. And he said that his wife, that he perceived that she was having this adulterous relationship for uh, two to three years uh, that was going on. But there's some things he told me. He said, first of all, that he never saw the signs. He would never have known to look for the signs. He said, but there were signs there. Looking in hindsight, they were all there. 
Like I said, there were signs that were going on. So just, she started changing her appearance. Uh, her appearance, you know, she never was much into to, 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 to being one who would just go and wear the gym out all the time. Uh, not saying she was obese, she wasn't any of that. He found it very attractive, but just now she put uh, added impetus of making sure uh, that, that she became a gym rat. She made sure that everything was tight and right. He said he never saw that. Said her apparel changed, that, she, that it became now a must-have to have new garments, a must-have to buy new clothing. Previously, she always liked nice stuff, but she was never a clothes horse, never a person who just had to go out and buy and purchase or anything like that. If she got it, she got it. If she didn't, she didn't. But now it was, it was necessary that she have that. He said also something he realized is that she started over and over again accusing him of having another woman. That he would, when he would withdraw money from the bank, and she, she would accuse him of taking money out to be with his girlfriend. When he would come home a little late from work, she would accuse him of coming home from seeing his other woman. Whenever he would do these myriad of things that broke the normal cadence of their family, she quickly accused him. And he said that he was working 40, 50 hours a week just trying to pay the bills and trying to keep everything rolling. Uh, there was no one else at any point in time. He said, but he started to notice that over and over again. And he said also about to start taking trips home to be with a mother uh, apart from him. He said that the family would always travel together whenever they went to visit either side of the family. But in, in this situation, more and more he started to see uh, that, that she started to want to go home alone. He said he just, he, he just totally missed the whole thing, what was going on. Uh, he said there were some other signs, some other signs in terms of uh, that, that her willingness to dialogue, uh, that, that there was no desire to dialogue or to really talk about anything. Um, sometimes there'll be endless, endless conversations on the phone and there'll be a joyful conversation on the phone, but with someone else. He just assumed that it was a girlfriend. He just assumed it was a sibling. He just assumed that it was just someone from the job. But he never thought about it could possibly be a man. And so he said that he started noticing that. And then he said, after he started noticing that she started making radical changes to her appearance and radical changes to her schedule. Sometimes she'd come home early. Sometimes she'd come home real, real late. He decided one day to follow her. Stay with me. He followed her, he says. And he followed her and followed her. And he ended up at a hotel. So he stayed in the parking lot. And he sat in the parking lot in a hotel in his car. And he watched her uh, proceed into the hotel, proceed upstairs and spent nearly the entire night. And he sat in the car the entire time and watched. And he watched the very departure of her from leaving the hotel and getting back into her car and driving back home. And of course, he beat her home. Uh, and somewhere in that conversation, they eventually started to talk about where she had been. Of course, there was a lot that went on. Uh, and, and eventually, he discovered who the guy was uh, because, because the guy had become so, so emboldened, so brazen, that, that she no longer felt the need to even hide it. It became evident that she wanted a divorce. She didn't want to be with him. And she already had someone. She's invested her energies and, and her desire and everything into already. So he said it totally, by the time it became apparent, he said it totally blew him out the water. He said that he totally missed all the signs. And, and of course, she left. She left. She separated. Uh, and they did get a divorce. Uh, and she did remarry later on. In fact, she remarried, I think, that guy. Um, but he just talked about just the pain of it, the embarrassment of it. Uh, so many times you assume that, that it is the guy who is the one who is being unfaithful. It is the guy, the one who has violated the marital covenant. But to have his wife do it, 
Now, of course, I'm thinking just like you as I'm hearing this story. My heart's broken for him, and, and, but I, I have to ask the question, what was your contribution? Now, knowing what you know now, what could you have done differently, and what would you have done differently? And he was just as energetic to say, and you can see that over time, God is starting to heal his heart. He's willing to talk openly and honestly about it, about his own issues. You know, the Bible says that, in fact, uh, before we can start dealing with the log in someone else's eye, Matthew chapter 7, we should deal with the log in our own eye as, as opposed to being speck inspectors. We look at the speck in somebody else's eye, and we miss the log in our very own eye. So he started talking about the log in his very own eye. This is what he said. He said, honestly, looking back at it, he said, I should have invested in her more emotionally. He said, I should have been there for her. I should have listened to her when she wanted to talk. I should have listened. I was so busy trying to provide and pay for bills, and I so assumed she'd always be there. And, and, and I didn't take the time to deal not with the bills, not with the children, not with the rent, not with the job, but just her. How are you doing? What's going on with you? He said something that's as, as just silly as making her laugh, just as silly as just, as just telling him how much he loves her or just caressing her or just, or just calling her her pet name or something. But he said he didn't know that. He said, he said I missed that. I, I became so used to her that I just omitted that. He said then also, um, when it came time for my marriage bed, he said, I didn't prioritize my marriage bed. He said, I was, I was so busy trying to get myself in shape and trying to work out and do the things that I did that I didn't think about her. I, I, didn't, I didn't think about what she needed. And I didn't think about uh, that we can work out together. We can do things physically together. And not only outside the bed, but also in the bedroom. He said, I, I just did not uh, prioritize that, that I need to perhaps learn something new or, or I need to find out what do you like. What a question. What do you desire? He said, I could have done a much better job than that. He said, also, I could have done a much better, much better job at conflict resolution. He said, I, I, I knew how to get into stuff, but I didn't know how to get out of stuff. T to say I was wrong or to say forgive me or to own the damage you caused, that was not his first priority. Uh, and so, so he says, and looking back at it, I would have done a much better job at understanding that the difference between dealing with the issue and dealing with her. I mixed it all in together. So if the issue went bad, I felt bad about her because I, I didn't have the tools. I didn't have the desire. I wasn't teachable. I wasn't teachable. And so he said that I, I've learned now that, that, in fact, he's clear about this. What she did is a choice she made. She made that choice. But he said that he looked at it, there were some contributing factors on his part that allowed it to be facilitated, that allowed it to happen. He said that he's not blameless in this. He said, he said that he found himself more willing to talk to women who were not his wife than talk to his very own wife because there was so much contention, so much conflict. And so he said, if I had it to do over again, I would have done things drastically different. He said, I would have pursued, I would have, I would have dated her. I didn't date her anymore. I didn't, we didn't go out and get ice cream. We didn't go out and have a meal. We didn't go out to a movie. We didn't just walk and hold hands. And all those things opened up portals, portals of opportunity. Because obviously she was lonely. He said, I was lonely too. But I was so caught up in just living and, and buying it. You know, as men often do, we want to be protectors. We want to be providers. But we forget all about being partners. Then I got a partner with you. I mean, I'm the priest of the house, but also my partner to my wife who's in the house. And he said, I just missed that. And so, and so with a broken heart, with a broken heart, he said that I could share this. And that this, that's what he just discovered, that, that whole anatomy. He said, I missed it. He said, there were telltale signs that I 
had to pick up. And every situation may be different. Maybe today there's some telltale signs for you. There's some gaps. There's some, there's some divots. There's some things that you are not paying attention to with your spouse. And, and what I'm saying is that you need to be able to, to, to pay attention. You remember I told you last week that according to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, it says any man thinks he stands, take heed lest he falls. The idea being is that it can happen to you, it can happen to me, it can happen to anybody. We've got to be in tune with this because, because we serve a, a very uh, a, a savior, but we've got an adversary called the devil uh, with his serpentine ways, and he desires to destroy us and divide us. And so we always got to be on our P's and Q's and love our wives that Christ loves the church. And the wife has to reciprocate. She has to be able to also love you and love Christ first and respect you and all those great things that the, that the marital covenant should have. But, but this is not a new phenomenon. In John chapter 4, when, when, when Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, and he had to go through Samaria, and I thank God he went through Samaria, because we're not Jews ourselves, you know, we're not full-blown Jews, we don't have the blood of a Jew, but he made room for the Gentile. He made room for those who are considered to be outcasts and dogs and those who would despise and despicable. He made room for them. I thank God that Jesus made room for us, that he died for us too, uh, not just of those of Jewish descent, but all those who were the very descent of Adam. Him. He died for us too. But as he's talking to this woman, there's something that Jesus says. Jesus says to this woman uh, in verse 17, uh, what this woman tells him, uh, uh, I, I, I don't have a husband. Uh, and Jesus says, uh, here's this, you have had five husbands, and the one whom you have now is not your husband. He said, you've had five husbands, and the man you're with now, that is an affair. That is adultery. You've had five husbands, and the man you're with now, okay, the man you have now is not your husband. It's not your husband, which implication being must be someone else's husband. Or, or perhaps, perhaps, he could be saying that is that you are living in a fornication relationship. But either way, it violates what God intended for the marital relationship. He intended for marriage, for the things related to marriage, sexual sex, the marriage bed, only be in the context of a marital relationship. But he said, you You've had five husbands, and the husband you have now, that ain't your, the man you have now, that is not your husband. And so he's saying that, that we understand in the Bible, we see the violation of covenants. We see it over and over again. So this whole idea of affairs is a real issue. And But God wants you to thrive. He wants you to succeed. He doesn't want you to be parallel. He doesn't want your marriage to lose its witness. I told you last week about in, in this whole affair paradigm, how you can see people get involved. They start making emotional connections. Then they start making physical connection. They start being in the same proximity. They start complimenting each other. And then they cross that line of physicality. They have that sexual relationship. And for many of them, they want to flee. They want to go back and try to and try to dig up the relationship with their spouse. But but the memorization of what happened in an adultery relationship, it's almost like it's kind of toxic sometimes. It's like it's like it's like there's a wound because now you remember and you've experienced what it's like to be with somebody else. But the Bible is saying is that God intends for us not to be people who facilitates or who admire affairs, adultery. He wants to be pure and committed to him. God is not a God who commits adultery on us. God is faithful to us. God loves us with an everlasting love. He wants the same thing in your marriage. He wants the same thing in your family. So you're saying, preacher, what should I do? You said a whole lot. You said a whole lot, and you got me today because this is where we are. With my, my husband should have heard this. My wife should have heard that. That's probably what you're thinking right now. What should we do? The first thing I want you to do is to pray. 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 Say, Lord, 
If I've had adulterous thoughts, if I've had adulterous habits, if I've opened the door for any of this, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me, Lord. Help me to close the door. Help me not to give room to the adversary. The second thing I actually do, be honest. You're going to need to, if, you conf- if you're in this sin, you need to confess this sin. You need to repent. Not only down to God, but also to somebody else. You need to confess this sin. The Bible says, confess, confess your sins to one another that you might be healed. So you need to confess that sin. And you're going to need the accountability to stay out of that sin. There are consequences to our sins. There, yes, there are. God forgives any sin and all sin if you genuinely are willing to repent and to remove yourself from it. However, there's consequences. You can't control the consequences, but you can control repentance. And I want your marriage to thrive. If you're not there, if, if you have not experienced this, you ought to go home today and hug your boo. You ought to go home and hug your booette. You ought to go home and say, Lord, I thank you for my wife. I thank you for my husband. I thank you, Lord, oh so much, but I don't want to go down that road. I don't want to open that Pandora's box. I don't want to give the devil a foothold, a stronghold. I don't want to have anything in this marriage or this family. Marriage is tough. First Corinthians 7 says that if you married, you have not sinned, but you have trouble in this life. Marriage is trouble. Marriage is hard. Two self-centered, self-willed individuals trying to forge together and be one. Only by the power of the Holy Spirit, only through the Word of God, only through the local church, only through the surrounding body of Christ can that ever, ever really happen. God God has meant you not to be an isolationist, but to be in the body of believers and to let His Word penetrate your heart. So go home. Go home, go home, go home. Go home and deal with your spouse. Forgive one another quickly, quickly, quickly. Admit your sin to one another quickly, quickly, quickly. Apply God's grace. Apply God's grace and God's mercy. And whatever you have done, God can empower you and forgive you that you don't have to repeat it. Maybe you're in a relationship right now that's just like that. Come out. Come out, come out, come out. Come out and run back to the Lord. Running back to the Lord will allow the facilitation for you to run back to your spouse. And if you need help, if you need counseling, if you need to come under the authority of the, of the Word of God or a man or woman of God through the Word of God, do it. Do it. Don't think you can fix yourself, can't handle it yourself. No, no, no. The adversary is much too seditious for that. We have to be willing to work together in the context of the body of Christ. But God wants your marriage to prosper. God wants your marriage to thrive. And God doesn't want you to have an affair. God wants you to have a fidelity first to him and then to the spouse whom he has given unto you. The Bible says what God has joined together let no man tear asunder. Let no man separate. And I pray there be no separation. Struggles, pain, difficulties, yes, but also God gives a greater grace. So I pray God bless you. I pray God keep you. Call your mama and call your daddy. Call your auntie. Call all of them and call your classmate and call your cubicle partner. Let them know that today you learned something right here at the kitchen table. And that is that you understand now the anatomy of an affair. But that anatomy doesn't have to be your reality. So I pray God bless you. God use you. God keep you, and may God's grace shine upon you. See you next Friday here at the kitchen table.